With its harmonies, drive, intensity, dynamics, and intricacy, bluegrass music is seldom minimalist, but it can have some things in common with other forms of minimalist art, like in photography or visual art. One of the tools in the minimalist toolbox is negative space, which gives artists a way to flip the script on our more common positive space vantage points. From a simple silhouette of a figure to emphasizing shapes and patterns in the space around their subjects, the artist's sketch or photograph then defines the subject with contrast in a compelling, striking fashion. As I said, bluegrass music can have some things in common with minimalist art, but many times it does not. That is, it can show all the positive space all the time, with elemental building blocks like a band playing banjo, fiddle, guitar, mandolin, bass, and perhaps dobro in a style that Bill Monroe would have enjoyed. But music that is sung and played in a way that can resemble a Norman Rockwell painting of an idealized past that is only a caricature, a fairy tale vision. For me, even when the music sounds great, the fact that these types of songs are coming from people who never lived those stories, stories which are paint by numbers to begin with, that's a non-starter. This is when I wish for some negative space, the real high lonesome, rough around the edges bluegrass that sugarcoats nothing themes that reflect the roots of the culture, which remembers its backwoods home in both the hardships and victories that came with it, experiences of raw, analog living that continue today in their modern variations. Those are the songs that separate the wheat from the chaff. Take this song, Hickory, Walnut, and Pine, by the Poe Ramblin' Boys, which has all the hallmarks of a bluegrass standard, a waltzing lament set against a backdrop filled with the forests of its namesake, a mountain cabin, a train, a failed mine resulting in a flight to the big city. But listen more closely for the negative space. The details around those figures sketch a scene of bitterness and loss that cuts deep. Here is a dark poetry with tragic death wrapped up in the far-reaching tribulation. I spoke with Poe Ramblin' Boys mandolin player C.J. Lewandowski at the International Bluegrass Music Association Conference and Festival in Raleigh, North Carolina, in early October 2022, and our conversation there touched on everything from the often unflinching nature of their approach to subject matter, how he views his band as progressively traditional, their love of George Jones songs, how CJ's home state of Missouri factors into their music, and how he came to own Jimmy Martin's pickup truck, and much more, along with music from the quintet, which is working on their next album, a collection featuring two songs with Jim Lauderdale. I'm Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories with our episode on the Poe Ramblin' Boys. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. 
Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW, at WNCW.org. C.J. Lewandowski lives in Sevierville, Tennessee now, but he's from Missouri, and that made me think of bringing up a contemporary and native of neighboring Arkansas, Willie Carlisle. Sure enough, C.J. is a big fan of Willie's as well, his storytelling in particular. You'll hear C.J. refer to Carlisle here in the course of answering my question about how the Poe Ramblin' boys find room in an ever more crowded field of exceptional young talent. I don't, I don't feel any threat or anything like that from anyone because uh, we're all individuals. And one thing I'm seeing right now is uniqueness is coming back and individualism. There was a time when I was growing up, you know, I played quite a bit different Madeline style than most people my age, especially from where I'm from. And so if you didn't play this certain style, you probably weren't going to get a job with anybody. And I, and I was in that position. I felt that. I don't know if it's true or not, but I felt that. So... I think IBMA and uh, a lot of the CBA, California Bluegrass Association, and uh, Pinecone, and a lot of these places are really, really opening up doors for kids to feel comfortable uh, and giving them support. And I think, you know, I think there's room for everybody because if you say, well, there's no room, that means you're putting a, you're putting borderlines around bluegrass music. So there's no lines, there's no hard lines, there's no box that, to put us in just you know there's room for everybody be yourself and and things are going to happen for you you know you don't have to try and fit in a box to to meet in a band there there is some expectations when you join a already established band but you know when we got together we were all individual players and we liked what each other did so we comp we complimented each other and we wanted Jeremy to play the banjo the way he does, and me to play the mandolin, and Josh to play the guitar the way he does, and Jasper the bass, and Laura the fiddle. It's just uniqueness, and that's that's the beauty of what bluegrass and Americana music as well. Uh, Willie Carlisle, you know, it's it's just be yourself, and there's always room. There's bluegrass is for everybody if everybody wants it. I think. What has a life of making bluegrass music and being on the road taught you about being a better person? It's uh, never judge a book by its cover. That's one thing which we've just said earlier. But there's, and I've also realized that you you never know who you're going to touch in a positive or a negative way. So be careful, you know what what you say on stage and what you say to the audience members, how your attitude uh, portrays. And, you know, I always want to be, one thing I've, I've caught myself doing sometimes is I want to make sure that when somebody leaves talking to me in a conversation, I want to make sure that they're humble and, you know, they think I'm humble and, and we've had a good conversation. It ends on a positive note for sure. And I I don't know, I, I just want to help people love it. And um, I've realized that our music has touched more people than I could ever imagine, you know? And that, that makes me feel good. I never would have thought that you'd, there would be people singing along with us at, with Hickory, Walnut, and Pine, and you know, uh, some of these songs that we do. Uh, for me, it's Hello off the Gospel Project. There's been so many people come up and say, you know, I lost my mom. It's a story about losing your mother, and 
I lost my mom at this age and that's, you know, that helped me, that, that song helped me get through it or that song reminded me of the good times I had with my mom and, and all that stuff. And that's the reason why I did it because I tell my story about losing my mother and it just bonds us all together, you know? And so music is, is extremely bonding and that's one thing that I'm, I, I didn't realize for the longest time and traveling so much, going to so many places, I've realized that this is more important to some people, it's not just a job, you know. You're really changing people's lives. If you if you put your heart into it, they're going to give you your heart or their heart as well. So. I stood by the bedside on the day Mama died. I still remember. She looked up and smiled I was the apple of her eye Oh mama, please mama Don't say goodbye Take care of yourself Don't worry about me I plan for this journey A long time you see and I will see Jesus, Jesus and the loved ones I know. Oh, it won't be goodbye for me still. Tell us about the Poe Rambler Boy sound and where you fit in this range of styles that is called bluegrass. Yeah, I use the word traditional very loosely because, uh, you know, what was, uh, when Earl hit the stage with Monroe in 46, that was progressive, but now today it's traditional, you know? So uh, I feel like we're a progressively traditional band. <laughs> we kind of do our own stuff and uh, we, we, we hold close to our hearts the, the original sounds of, of bluegrass music and we try and keep, I think that bluegrass music is a timing, is a rhythm, and we try, that's, that's what separates it from any other music, so we concentrate on that rhythm a whole lot. Um, we're writing our own material. Some of it sounds like it could have been recorded in the 50s and 60s. Some of it is, is, is different and we're, doing some cover songs that maybe normally wouldn't do on some of these records so we want to appeal to everybody but uh, we still want to stay authentic and true to ourselves and that's that's kind of what we're doing and, and in the big realm of bluegrass music we're just we're just one of one of the bands you know we don't we don't say well we want to do this on purpose we just we play what we play because that's how we play you know um, we can take a pop song and it probably it'll sound like the poor Ramble boys because it's that's how we play, you know. We we live, we live what we do. <laughs> you know, you can't judge judge a book by a by its cover. Yeah. But you can often judge, and maybe not judge, but you can learn a lot about a band by the songs that they cover. True. So true. Tell us about the songs that you cover, and maybe some that you're thinking about. We're huge George Jones fans, so there's always a George Jones song on every album that we do. Um, quite a bit of original material from Josh, our guitar player, Josh Wrinkle. And uh, they're mostly like kind of heartbreak songs, and, and uh, he's got some true stories. He's got a few made-up ones, but uh, 
mostly we're doing a lot of uh, subject matter that normally isn't talked about. We did a song on the the Rounder Records project that was uh, that was about Alaska. You know, people going off and mining in Alaska and doing the timber industry as well. So that's a that's a different thing. Uh, there was uh, Ice on the Timber is a song that we did about an ice storm in the Ozarks, and I'm from Missouri. So I, I, I kind of dig up some of that old uh, Missouri material and want to bring it back or revive it or do songs about the Ozarks because there's not truly, uh, there's not many bands out there on the main circuit that are talking about the Midwest, you know, as much. Rick Ferris is doing a really good job because that's where he's from, you know. And uh, I knew Rick when we were kids. And so we have a lot of the same influences and the, so, the Midwest is, is was a hotbed at one time for and still is. Uh, it's growing back again. The St. Louis music scene's really well right now, and we we try and pay homage to our little areas of the country that we're from and we love, and that's I think that's important. Regional music is extremely important, and people don't realize that sometimes. You know, I I, I grew up around guys that were first generation musicians, pickers that never traveled outside. They traveled on the weekends because they had jobs, you know, day jobs. So Friday night, they'd get in the rig and head out and they'd be back Monday morning before 6 a.m. so they could go work at GM or uh, General Electric or wherever in St. Louis again. And uh, that's that happened multiple places around the country. But I learned so much from them and that contributed to my uniqueness as a mandolin player and a singer. And so, Regional, I, I, at the time, I didn't realize what was happening. But looking back on it now, I, I had a really good education with regional artists. So my, uh, if, I, if I would give any advice to anybody, listen to those people in the jam sessions. You know, they might not be, they might not be playing on top of their game like they used to, some of these older guys, but they have a wealth of knowledge you can you can grab just something small from them and it can totally change your life like the bumper sticker real musicians have day jobs real musicians have day jobs i do not i'm i'm not a real musician <laughs> <laughs> from Jim Lauderdale, 
who by our bumper sticker definition is also not a real musician, along with the Poe Ramblin' Boys on their new collaboration, Last Resort, one of two songs they play together on the Poe Ramblin' Boys' upcoming album. Outside of making music, the Poe Ramblin' Boys members all have other interests. CJ told me about how guitarist Josh Wrinkle and banjo player Jeremy Brown enjoy hunting and fishing, and how fiddle player Laura Orshaw is involved with the Berkeley College of Music's bluegrass program. As for himself, CJ likes to collect cars. I've got a uh, 66 Oldsmobile that was my great uncle's car. He had it, uh, he just passed away a year ago, and so I got that car, it's a family car. Night, beautiful uh, Oldsmobile 98 and then I recently just right right around that same time I purchased Jimmy Martin's pickup truck a 1973 F100 so I've got Jimmy's truck <laughs> which is kind of odd <laughs> that's a nice tradition yeah yeah it's just I it the truck was missing for a long time no one knew where it went and uh, one day I was at a friend's house had he's got quite a collection of cars and he was personal friends with Jimmy very close and we were walking through his uh, shop there and it was covered in plastic, so I didn't know what it was. He said, pull that, pull the plastic back there and look at that. And I pulled it back and I looked at it. And you know, it's in, it's in YouTube videos and, and some of Jimmy's hunting videos and things like that that he put out. It's red and white, so if you get on the internet, it's a red and white 1973 F100 with a camper shell on it. I don't have the camper shell anymore, but I'm gonna try and get one that matches. Anyhow, he pulled that back and he said, do you know what that is? And I said, well, I think I know what it is. And he said, oh, it's Jimmy Martin's pickup. And the title still was in his name, had his signature on the back from 73. There was an A-track of Jimmy <laughs> in the A-track player, <laughs> Jimmy Martin's greatest hits, and the volume was on max. It was great. <laughs> there was a there was a 20, 26 or something like that, uh, 45s underneath, Gusto 45s underneath the seat. There was a, a hatch print behind the seat that was a benefit for Kenny Ingram when his house burned down. There's all kinds of little neat things about that truck. And it, it, at the end of the day, it's just a it's a long bed, two wheel drive, 360 um, F100. It's not very special. You know, it's not the most collectible truck in that year, but it's Jimmy Martin's truck. And he, he was trying to, my buddy was trying to get me to buy it for the longest time. And he finally called me one day and he said, well, I've got Jimmy Martin's Bluegrass Boy belt buckle as well that Bill Monroe gave out to all the Bluegrass Boys uh, one year, 1987, I believe. And um, he said, I've got it too. He said, I want, make me an offer for both. And so I did, and, and I've got the truck now. And he, he said, I want you to have it because you would respect it, you would love it, and I know that you're going to take care of it and people are going to see it if you've got it. So it's a, it's a pretty cool truck, very that's, special. That's great. I talked with Daryl Scott couple months a few months back and he has guy clark's international scout god i love a scout i love an international that's cool i was at one time i was trying to buy one of ernest tubbs uh cadillacs it was 1954 and then uh a friend of mine i've got i'm in a facebook uh i love cadillacs but um, i'm in a facebook vintage car page and whatnot and i've got a friend in oklahoma that has rock hudson's last car it was a 72, 71 or 72 uh, Cadillac Eldorado convertible. Very cool car. Has the original plates from Rock Hudson, and so I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of that, but I don't think I will. Wow. 
We got to put some of your cars in your Ramblin' Boys next video or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the truck, the Jimmy Martin truck, was in our liner notes for this latest album. Okay. Stacy Chandler did an incredible job with liner notes, and uh, I guess I'm going to get on a stump here. Liner notes are so important, are so great, and in a time where we're all going all digital and everything, liner notes are kind of getting pushed to the side, and I really, telling these stories of these songs, you know, that's what we did that in the in the Smithsonian Folkways project as well. I told little tidbits of, of each song that we did and why we did it. Uh, but Stacy, she she nailed the liner notes, and so I really I really think liner notes separate the men from the boys when it comes to projects. You know, it's good if you've got a good write up in there because that's what I did as a kid. I I learned so much from liner notes growing up. But I was in the age of CDs, you know. Well, it's a very uh, big part of this scene is still having physical album and CD yes. and maybe even cassette sales. Yes. Doing merch at your shows. You've know, you got a lot, an audience that readily still buys a lot of that. Yes. However, we're, at the we're same throwing time, out vinyl still. three quarters or more of the record industry is streaming. Now, it's and streaming, you can't get around yeah. it. So I wonder how many people come to Poe Ramblin' Boys that just found you through streaming. There's been quite a few, you know, because streaming links are like Apple Music. You can play an album, and then when that album is done, it'll start a playlist, you know. There's been a lot of folks here lately that have came to the shows that are like big Billy Strings fans, and they might be coming, you know, they might be going to a Billy Strings show, and they'll stop and see us one night. So the cross-pollination of streaming is, is really cool. It's really good. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of folks that show up with a, to to the shows to get a physical copy, and that, I've I've heard so many people say, "Well, I've already got it on my phone, but I want I want you to sign it." So they collect the signatures. A lot of people are buying vinyl again, and they you know that's a great something you can display with signatures on it. And I've I've got quite a few albums that I love that have have been like that. So I'm a I'm a big vinyl collector, but uh, there's. There, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that bluegrass music is, is behind the times, but we've always been kind of, we've kind of been reserved to uh, push to the next step, and so it's we've always been lagging behind a year or two with the main music industries and and with with print stuff, with CDs, with tapes, with you know it's it, you can look in the past and we're just trailing behind just a tad. Uh, and that makes a difference. Well, another thing too is bluegrass music is very approachable. You can come to our table and you can talk and shake our hands, and and so that dynamic is is unheard of in most musical realms. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like I'm of the generation that I came up in. Um, well, both clubs, but arena, uh, stadium kind of rock and stuff, and you weren't approaching anybody. Yeah, at couldn't. pretty much either of those yeah. settings. There, I remember I was 13 years old, and uh, there's a huge theater where ballets and, and plays and musicals from Broadway came in St. Louis. They all came to this. It's called the Fox Theater in St. Louis. It's downtown St. Louis. Beautiful, gorgeous. Has a has a head of an elephant above the. I don't know why I remember that, but it did. And that's when Old Brother Warthow came out. And so they were doing the Down From The Mountain tour, and that's what turned me on to music was, was uh, 
I, I liked country music and I always did. And I, looking back, I always liked the old sounds of stuff. And I've I've put that together as I've gotten older. What I was attracted to when I was real small. And so, um, I remember going to that Fox Theater to see Down from the Mountain, the tour, and Allison was on it. John Hartford, I seen he was sick, and I remember watching him. That was probably his last show ever in St. Louis, and he's from St. Louis, you know. So it was kind of bittersweet for him. You could tell that he was, it was, it was good for him. And I remember walking in that theater, and there was all the merch tables and everything. And you know those big tours, they have the big panels with. 15 different t-shirts and they're $25 a piece and you know I couldn't afford any of that stuff but I remember walking around one corner and there was a table and it was all Ralph Stanley stuff and he was sitting behind the table you know like this guy just you know he's winning Grammys and he's on a, a motion picture that was ungodly successful and he's right there behind his table and I went up and talked to him 13 year old me got to talk to Ralph Stanley and that that was important to me. I had him sign a cassette tape, actually. <laughs> One thing that stands out in this part of our conversation about Ralph Stanley is how the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? continues to pay dividends to bluegrass music decades later. Here we have a 13-year-old C.J. Lewandowski upon his light bulb moment, the show that set him on his path. And just how did that movie have such an impact? Well, if you ask me, it's all about context, with the movie changing common perceptions of bluegrass as writer Kim Rule, who now at Folk Alley, summed up in a WNCW feature years ago, saying, O brother, where art thou, took what had been in many circles regarded as bucktooth, dirty hillbilly music and put it in the mouth of sexy George Clooney. Giving new context to bluegrass is one of the Poe Ramblin' Boys' strengths as well. Sure, they have the look with cowboy hats, cowboy ties, their often intricately embroidered, colorful matching suits, they have the sound with top-shelf melodies, harmonies, and playing. But part of that aesthetic is a carefully crafted context, a backdrop which gives depth to balance out all of the flash, with lyrics that paint pictures filled with both darkness and light and themes that apply to not only those who are steeped in the tradition and their own humility and dedication, the Poe Ramblin' Boys are doing their part to reframe the conversation about what bluegrass music can mean to both longtime fans as well as those who might have thought that it was something short of authentic. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We leave you with the Poe Ramblin' Boys song Old Time Angels with Laura Orshaw on lead vocals. Death is a theme that at least used to be inescapable in bluegrass music. This song puts revenge and death together and turns the murder ballad themes of yore on their head as characters like Pretty Polly and Darlin' Corey come back to settle their scores. We are glad you stopped by for a visit and are even more grateful whenever you share this with someone. It is super easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice and then it will only take a minute to give it a good rating and where it's an option, a review. Great ratings, and reviews especially, will make Southern songs and stories and the artists it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. 
I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. flying out of Raleigh today to uh, play Sisters Folk Festival in Sisters, Oregon. And when we woke up this morning, we found out that our flights were canceled. So uh, we're actually gonna, in quick quick change, after playing with Jim Lauderdale this morning, we finally, <laughs> we got the, we got, we had to put things in order real quick this morning. So uh, we did the gym set and then now we are just here in a few minutes, we're going to take off and we're going to head to Nashville, drive to Nashville, get on a plane, and then go to Sisters. So we'll be a little late, about but a we're going to be there. Drive. Yeah, about ten hours. That's what that's what we do. <laughs> Folks, this is why you don't want to sign up to be a professional musician unless you really have the stuff. You got hey, yeah, it's 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 tough and there's a grind to it, but uh, we love what we do, so that makes it easier.